Turundusraadio. Hello dear listeners and welcome to our marketing radio talk show number 269. Wow. I'm Anu Malnar, it's from the Institute of Marketing and I have uh, one very interesting guest here in the studio today, Avery Schrader, who is founder and CEO of uh, Modash. And we are going to talk about influencer marketing today. Um, I think that all our listeners know how important it is and probably one of the first discussions in every marketing team is that what kind of influencers should we use and how should we use them. Um, so let's start uh, from the beginning. Actually, can you tell what your company does or why do we t- talk with you about the influencers? <laughs> Good question. No. Uh, so yeah, Modash is essentially a platform that makes it really easy to build and manage and scale influencer marketing campaigns. So you can find influencers who speak to a really specific target demographic anywhere in the world. You can build campaigns. So that means like preparing a brief, basically, send it to tens or hundreds of them automatically, and then manage those relationships over time. Because usually what we see is like long-term relationships work really well with influencers rather than these kind of one-off Uh, selfie campaign kind of things. What what are the trends? Or what what is happening in influencer marketing? What do you, do you uh, see? Because probably as a platform, mm-hmm. you have a lot of insights. Really, what are the new cool things? What are the old school things? Yeah, I think like uh, being in Estonia is a little bit different than North America. I think even Europe is maybe. Uh, just reaching the kind of maturity curve of adopting influencers or kind of being interested in this space. So we start to see some interesting things happen. Um, One thing that I think is going to change over the next years is uh, probably the expectations of what you actually see for the outcome. I mean, everybody wants to know the results of where they put their money, and so far the industry has been kind of avoiding this topic and... uh, trying to maybe focus on vanity metrics or things that don't matter as much as uh, the value you actually get at the end of the day. Um, so I think like the trends are um, trying to understand exactly what the value is, hopefully mapping your influencer campaigns against an actual user journey and not just kind of posting awesome photos. Um, yeah, these are the kind of things that at least we hope are, are starting to happen more and more. Um, You told that Europe is different compared to, to North America and Estonia. In what sense it's different? I think uh, just as far as the adoption curve of influencer marketing goes, at least um, in Estonia, we haven't seen like mass adoption of influencer marketing. Most people don't even, uh, at least most people we speak to, don't even know how many influencers there might be out there because they have this idea in their head that influencers like the the six people that are really, really super famous on YouTube or whatever. Okay. Uh, but now we start to see that Estonia is doing really uh, interesting things. I mean, the Verif camp, we just ran a campaign with Verif, uh, and they did a really cool thing uh, hiring using influencers, and it was a really successful campaign. Um, and this kind of out-of-the-box thinking for a B2B company in identity verification to use Instagram influencers to hire staff is a really... Uh, What did they do? Yeah, so basically the idea was you have this really young, street-savvy, tech-savvy company um, that uh, has positioned itself as, as that, as so, uh, and trying to gain the trust of the Internet. Uh, they suddenly 
need to hire like 160 people, crazy stuff. Uh, so they decide if I'm a young person who's maybe looking for something on the side to do or looking for a job alongside university or as I'm finishing school, uh, uh, where, am I, where are my eyeballs at all day? And that's probably social. Uh, so they picked a bunch of people that are kind of speaking to young, quote-unquote, nerdy types who are maybe interested in gaming or photography, tech, these sort of fields. Um, picked a bunch of people like this to shoot off confetti and celebrate Verif's 100th employee uh, and drive people to their site. And they, like, quadrupled their applications and uh, had super high-quality applicants and really cool campaign, yeah. But basically it was a celebration of their 100th employee. It's a very good idea, isn't it? It was cool, yeah. I quite liked it. I hope that we do more cool stuff with them. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. But you told that the, the influencer marketing hasn't really picked up in Estonia. How small are we compared to the major markets? I mean, when you have like, it's hard to say because Estonia wins on every metric if you say per capita. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, I just think like uh, in, in the US, for example, there's almost oversaturation already of influencer marketing kind of stuff happening or maybe oversaturation of low quality influencer campaigns, um, stuff that isn't as maybe interesting or creative as like the, the celebration or this sort of thing of VEDF. Um, yeah, but uh, that's not to say anything, anything bad about Estonia. I think that uh, there's some really creative people here in the ad space and yeah it's cool to be here this is my first ecosystem for for business or startups or anything so uh definitely have nothing no bad words for estonia but yeah i do understand what is the best best practice in uh, measuring influencer campaigns mm. well the first step is to and i think this is the first step is where everybody makes the mistake and that is you launch a campaign without a goal um so the first trick is to actually have a goal that you want to measure against. Um, depending on how how complex you want that to be, it, it it can be as complex as you let it be. If you've mapped your user, like your buying journey, really, really well, and you apply a metric to a friction point there, so let's say we have... Mm, we have a whole bunch of users on our platform, but none of them use this cool new feature. So maybe we can use an influencer campaign to see how many of our existing users we can engage to use that feature. Okay. Uh, and then you can measure against uh, like the lift of people using a feature like that, for example. Or it can be something as simple as a trackable link or a coupon code or um, those sort of things. The truth is that it really has to be contextually appropriate for your business and what your goals actually are. And then it has to be contextually appropriate for the for the platform that the influencer is going to post stuff on. So, uh, for example, we recently had somebody ask us if they can run pre-roll ads on Instagram photos. So their their concept was that maybe they could run like a 10-second video advertisement before somebody could look at an Instagram photo. And if you kind of consider the user behavior on Instagram, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so it's important just to understand uh, how to measure on that platform to, and what is important to measure. What is your actual goal? Mm, there's lots of ways to do that, but uh, it really depends on what you're trying to do. I know that most of the companies think now that don't overcomplicate it. We just want to sell more. Yeah, sometimes... Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that, that works, but... Uh, mm, the truth is that you have to understand then 
why aren't people buying enough now? And of course, for companies, typically it's never enough. You always want to sell more. But uh, what is the friction point that your user actually is experiencing that you need to smooth over in order to get that little bump in uh, in sales or whatever? So usually somewhere along that journey, people get lost or they don't care anymore or you're presenting them with things that they don't, they're not interested in. So can we engage them to push them to the next step in the funnel or the buying journey or whatever, however you want to say, uh, with influencers. And typically, in my opinion, the answer is yes, there's some way to do that. Um, yeah. But Are there any differences uh, of results between online business and offline business? Mm. Offline business. Those still offline business. If yeah. you sell, I don't know, pens or mm -hmm. you sell fruits, you sell, yeah. let's say, milk, candies, bread, everything. You cannot even think that someone would sh ship you via internet. I don't know, maybe someone can, but mm. in Estonia, we still go to store to buy gotcha, yeah. this type of products. Totally true. All of you milk yogurt salesmen out there, you need to start shipping your stuff online, just for the record. It's okay. happening, but uh, no, you're right. There is there is people. There are people who are still offline. I think like um, being analog completely isn't common anymore. Most businesses have at least like a Facebook page or something. Even if they're not, if they're selling in store, they're selling pens. Mm -hmm. Let's say yeah, yeah. that pen brand probably has like a cool Instagram account or something. And uh, yeah, depending on on the goal is still the same. So if we want to see. Maybe, yeah, that Facebook account is something we really want to focus on this year because we see a lot of referral traffic to our to whatever, or we hear a lot of people come in and talk about our Facebook uh, page, but we need to generate a ton of content for that. Maybe if we send out our fanciest pens to 50 of the most relevant calligraphy influencers in Europe, then or if it's really focused locally, then that works even better. Just a whole bunch of cool kids in town uh, to post some interesting things with our fancy pen or artists, these sort of things like connect with people who uh, matter to your user. And that's, that's kind of who you want to associate your brand with anyway. What's the attitude from, from influencers point of view? Mm -hmm. Do they really love the cooperation or do they think yeah. that just let me be and do my stuff and I actually don't want the cheap, uh, I don't know, the cheap lipsticks to arriving <laughs> in my post uh, uh, or mail, mail, mail every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't just send stuff. I think uh, <laughs> that's typically not a good idea, yeah. Um, when I say like send your pen to the local influencers, I mean more uh, approach them, try to have a, a legitimate relationship with them, find people who are interested in your in your brand because they're the ones that are going to portray it the best. Uh, yeah, but on influencer reaction to these campaigns in general, there is a lot of problems for them too. They have a lot of unclear expectations kind of put upon them. They have a lot, like if they're larger, they have a lot of requests that are coming in from, like you said, kind of the cheap lipstick kind of stuff that they aren't really interested in. Um, and then sometimes these people, these creators aren't necessarily business people first, they're creators first. And lots of brands try to approach them the way they would maybe us when we tr when they want to sell us B2B software or something. And you approach this highly creative like videographer who's been in their basement making cool stuff for three years, not thinking about anything business, and you approach them in the same manner, uh, it can be kind of off-putting. So I think... Uh, come from like a place of empathy and try to just connect with that person in a way that you would want 
your maybe your customer to connect with your brand. Uh, so typically, brands don't want to be unfriendly. They don't want to be rude or or forceful. And I would approach influencers the same way. You want to be really transparent and authentic, and just say, "Hey, we like the stuff you make, and we thought you might like the stuff we make. So maybe there's something cool to get, we can do together." Um, yeah. From the company's point of view, there is always a consider- consideration that should be using in an influencer or should we do something ourselves build a cool youtube channel or mm-hmm. instagram account or something how how should they make a decision what to do mm-hmm. i'm not even asking what's the best today yeah, yeah. but how to reach the right decision what should be considered hmm. i think uh, it really depends on who you think can can do it better and which one of those things is going to in the end of the at the end of the day, accomplish the business goal. And I think a lot of times the answer will be both. Uh, if Today, it's it's almost necessary to be on certain platforms, like Facebook, for example, is not really an option anymore. You kind of have to be there, or you should be there probably, because your customer is almost definitely there. Um, yeah, if your customer base is one that really connects well with Facebook influencers or there's a huge number of communities that are really important and led by by these thought leaders in your mm-hmm. particular niche then it's probably a good idea to to sway towards um, influencers if you haven't laid a, a foundation of, of content or Facebook page type articles these sort of things uh, articles Facebook pages social media platforms I mean then uh, you definitely have to lay some sort of foundation there before working with influencers, I would say. Um, you have to have some sort of landing point. But if the decision is between maybe starting high quality, like high production quality um, podcast versus uh, working with a whole bunch of podcast influencers, then it depends on what kind of value you can bring in each situation like uh, and what the goal is in the end. If the goal is really, like you said, uptick in sales, then probably running promo codes on podcasts is a good idea. If your goal is to build your brand as a thought leader and provide long-term value to your customers to keep them really sticky and, and engaged for a long period of time, then starting a podcast is probably a good idea. So I think, uh, again, it's all about mapping against your goals and how you can how you can bring the most in any given decision. Today in the morning, I just had a, had a discussion about um, a new, let's say, a leisure center that is targeted to boys from seven to ten, kind of the rough age. Okay. And the question was the same, that should we have our own channel? Should we find someone? And in case, if we should fi- find someone, then who should it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, like laser tag kind of thing. Um, huh. I think uh, this is an interesting question because if you don't have somebody in your company who's dedicated to the maintenance of something like a YouTube channel, for example, then it's going to be really, really difficult to put up enough content to make it meaningful over time because um, like one video doesn't do it. Most of these creators are posting stuff every day for five years before a brand approaches them, or three years at least, especially on YouTube, it's so hard. Um, So I think, uh, yeah, it really depends on what you're capable of doing. In that case, I think uh, working with influencers is probably a good idea. Throw a big laser tag influencer party and invite a bunch of uh, parkour dudes to the gym to jump around and do backflips and shoot lasers at each other. That sounds like hilarious content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
in, in that particular situation. But I think uh, there's always value in doing what you're good at. So if you happen to have somebody on the team who's like, please let me make a YouTube channel. I've been dying to do this since <laughs> I was a kid. Then, uh, yeah, make it happen and put out cool stuff. Experiment. Uh, I think lots of times brands try to make these really big decisions as though they're, uh, it's like one or zero. Uh, whereas experimentation is is totally the way to go. So try out a YouTube channel. If you can maintain it and keep it going, then then do it. And if you can maintain a relationship with a local influencer who draws a lot of eyeballs in, then that's probably a better option. I just um, come to your um, idea of your platform. Um, often there is also what we work a, a lot with is uh, with different exporters. Okay. So actually we are in a situation, the company or the attraction is here in Estonia, but ne- we, we need to target or we need to attract people from Finland, from Sweden, mm-hmm. from Russia. And in this case, you always kind of want someone to have that, Can you have a list of influencers, really, whom I can choose from? Mm-hmm. Because finding them out is such a time-consuming work. What do you do in order to build up the influencer mm-hmm. base for your platform? Yeah, so, I mean, our platform has lists now over 100 million social media influencers globally. Over 100 million? Yeah. <laughs> whom do you call an influencer, then? A so, follower base of 10 persons? Nope. No. So, uh An influencer on Modash has to have at least 60% real followers and has to have over 1,000 followers. Okay. So lots of times... I would w- qualify, probably. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so uh, so what happens is lots of times, like you said, a lot of effort goes into this like looking through Instagram or through Facebook, YouTube, whatever platform. Uh, and the problem is that you only think you understand what's happening there. So what you can do with Modash is click a couple of filters and say, we need influencers in Tallinn whose audience is in Helsinki and they're interested in pickles or whatever okay. mysterious trait that you need. Um, yeah, and it will tell you the two people that speak to that audience. How do you get the information about the interest in pickles? <laughs> are, you, are, are you monitoring them or is it something they say that I'm interested in this type of things? So, uh, so yeah, it's not so much that they, they're signed up on the platform because that creates a chicken and egg problem and we can never provide value to either side because we don't either have enough influencers or we don't have enough brands. Okay. So what we've done is basically built Uh, if you think about S- in SEO, there's topic clusters yeah. uh, of kind of conversations and what are, what are, what word is related to pickles. Well, maybe we have like recipes and and gherkins and okay. cucumbers and whatever. Okay. Okay. So uh, basically, Modash has analyzed like a preposterous amount of data from social platforms to build these topic clusters and say these people are to- talking about these particular topics. Uh, so you can find people talking about your pickles or gherkins or whatever. Okay, very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, but on uh, I think your your question was uh, um, m- more about building a list, maybe manually. So yeah, doing that is really hard, actually. Uh, not only because it's hard to find them, but because it's almost impossible to really understand them. There's most like I'd say, we've had people request influencers through Modash before we had a certain uh, credibility monitor, so we actually can tell you how many people are fake that are following this person. And uh, brands are paying like 40% premium to talk to people who don't exist. So, uh, yeah, it's really important to verify that, that you're not being like defrauded completely and you're paying for something that doesn't exist. It's important to understand who the target audience really is um, because lots of times the example I always use is 
let's say you want to sell skateboards. So you find the coolest skateboarder guy in town who posts photos on Instagram. He's got 100,000 followers. He really, seems like a really nice, genuine human being, family-friendly content. So you pay him a whole bunch of money to post about your skateboards, and then suddenly you find out that it's a whole bunch of teenage girls following him because he has really cool hair. This is the kind of situation that happens every single time you pick an influencer because it's really difficult to understand the audience that's actually following people. What do you do to understand the audience? Yeah, so Not about the fake mm-hmm. and, and right uh, followers, but really the... Why? Yeah, so nothing we do is very manual at all. It's really like uh, data analysis driven. So we look at um, how many of these accounts are appear to be male, how many appear to be female, what age range do they seem to be in as long as they're above 18, um, what kind of brands do they talk about, what kind of, uh, yeah, uh, where are they by U.S. city, state, country, Um Yeah, and we just gather all of this information and we make like a big uh, analysis of that audience and say, you can click a button and say, I need people in in Finland and we show you people in Finland. And then you say, okay, but I need them to have male audience and you click male audience and then you find all the people in Finland who have mostly male audiences on Instagram. And easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And you don't try to uh, translate the the posts from Finnish to English to understand mm. the content it's more about statistical data that is easy to analyze or yeah from our end like uh, what our user really has to what our user has the opportunity to see when they after they see a bunch of search results they can click a user see like a little profile of their of the important traits like age race gender nationality those sort of things uh, or geography rather um And you can also see their popular posts. You can click through to the Instagram profile if you want to see more information. Um, yeah, it's really like, uh, f- on our side, it's really complicated piece of machinery. But on user side, it's supposed to be super simple. That's the idea. Um, yeah. What about the relationship building? Mm-hmm. If I have chosen the five possible Instagrammers, how can I, okay, via a platform, I can send them some kind of message. I have something here, please promote. But... But maybe they even do. Probably they see some kind of money or something. Mm-hmm. But what's on? Actually, when you told that, it starts to work with it's a long-term relationship, both to understand the, the probably both the, the way to work and also the outcome of the work. So uh, how to do it? Yeah, so uh, on managing these relationships, um, you can think of it kind of like... Uh, So actually, we spoke to the Google team at in Asia Pacific, and the problem that they told us that they have is uh, we're still learning how many influencers one marketer can effectively be friends with. So you need to think of these people basically like colleagues. Uh, you're recruiting somebody to to work alongside you for a lo- for probably a long period of time, even if it's not every single day. It's once every few months. It's once a week on their show. It's whatever. Um, and you need to treat them like a normal human being is kind of the the secret sauce. Um, being super transactional doesn't go as far as really good storytelling does. For example, when you first present a, a campaign, if you talk more about the brand and less about the money, just say this is how much money that we can offer you, this is why it matters, uh, then this is a lot more compelling usually. And then managing the relationship is the same way. It's about uh, what's the human touch that you can give to make working with you worthwhile outside of of the five euros you want to pay somebody or whatever. Um, Yeah, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. So what would be the maximum amount that would be reasonable to target or reasonable to have? It depends on what you need for a result, I guess. Like, uh, oh, you mean a reasonable amount of relationships? Yeah. Re- ah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what Google found is uh, they can they can handle between ten and twenty per person, uh, okay. and that's basically their full time job at that point is to manage these influencer relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of those people are really passionate about influencer marketing and are like researchers in this topic. So. Um, that gives them a little edge because they they have a genuine passion and curiosity about these creator types. Um, yeah, but uh, it's really hard to manage more than 10 or 15 relationships with your best friends. So uh, at work, trying to like work with somebody, 10, 15 of them and manage those relationships gets really difficult at some point. Modash, we try to make it a little easier with like tech, just uh, the same way that a CRM, like a customer relationship management tool like Pipedrive, for example, makes managing your relationship with leads a little bit easier. We make it a little bit easier to work with influencers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the number makes sense. I was just trying to compare my time when we were, uh, I was working in a fashion company mm. in marketing. Super and then we had one uh, one employee, not full time, but her job was also to work with uh, stylists mm. and exactly the same group. Actually, yeah. working as influencers, maybe the working process was a bit different. Mm-hmm. But roughly, I think that we had about maybe a group of 10, really, in Estonia. Yeah. Very close relationship. She knew exactly who had borrowed what for what kind of shooting, who was the star, can mm-hmm. we get the dress fitting, do we need to do something else? So it was really, really personal. Mm-hmm. But all the, I think all the, all, all her clients yeah. if i can call it so somehow friends clients relationship they were very really good friends of the company and they really liked us because yeah. of her yeah doing the very very personal job picking all the blue colored dresses for the mm-hmm. shooting and so on yeah and that shines through outside of those moments where you guys get to see it like the people they interact with and their their audience knows whether or not or in this case maybe they they weren't a youtuber or whatever but um yeah if these creator, if you can help these creator types actually connect with you on a human level, the way we all try to get our brands to connect with people, um, it will shine through to the audience tenfold. I'm sure that you've scrolled through Instagram and seen a post that was like, "I love this shampoo. This is the best shampoo ever." Like this is the stuff that people keep scrolling past. But if it's like this shampoo transformed my life everything is better now i'm going to use this every day forever and they mean it then the audience can feel that because they know those people as well as they know their friends um yeah that's really interesting story actually about the stylists i just um i just wanted to ask that what comes after influencers Mm -hmm. But I do understand that you cannot ask, you can never ask a person what comes after your friends, what comes after the relationship of your friends has ended, because it's <laughs> not really the really the typical question what we mm. have. But if it just comes to more conceptual yeah. level, if you say that, okay, in some markets where we started from, mm-hmm. the influencer marketing is maturing, yeah. then probably you see already new trends coming in. What mm. could replace them? Um, different influencers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But still, the truth is that uh, I mean, lots of varieties of marketing die eventually. Um, 
like super traditional stuff even now like postcards for example start to come back because it's not it's not saturated anymore to send your client a postcard so now mailchimp lets you send postcards <laughs> this is exceptional stuff but for a long time uh postcards were like no that's why would anybody do that that's weird like i don't send my i'm on i'm modern i'm on facebook you know um and i think uh Yeah, influencers will change platforms. At some point, they were on the radio. At some point, they're actors on television holding a Coca-Cola, and nobody knew it was influencer marketing. At some point, it was a caveman with the biggest stick in the cave. Um, and people will always hold influence, and the question is, like, can we identify where they are? Um, what's after influence as far as what other upcoming trends, maybe, that I see are coming? I think um, uh, really hyper-interactive content um, and super geographically sp targeted uh, stuff is interesting. Actually, I had a conversation about this uh, really recently with a guy from New York who's in Tallinn now, James, and uh, we were talking about how Bandersnatch, this Netflix uh, show that blew up and went really crazy, is a really interesting case study for what could be done with marketing in theory. I mean, choose your own adventure is like, uh, we live in such an interactive society. Why are our ads so analog in a, in a sense? Uh, yeah, I think this is an interesting thing. And then he spoke a lot about geofencing, which is like a type of ad you can run on Facebook where you say, around this building, I want ads to run. And this is, uh, or when people go in there, and I think this is really, people are not using this well enough. I hope that there's a, Maybe Italian Marketing Week at Modash will like uh, surround the conference with some fa Facebook ads or something. That would be interesting. Very good. I really yeah. love the approach from Facebook because um, in my kind of in my private life, I do arrange um, competitions for kids okay. for running, and I know that mm. it's my neighborhood. Yeah. And my neighborhood is about two kilometers from the stadium, mm -hmm. and actually I don't care about the others. And then I try to, in Facebook. Can we narrow it down so I don't need to reach the others, just my kids here? Yeah. Works. Nice. That's very cool. Thank you a lot. You're very It welcome. It was very interesting. That's and cool. uh, in Time Marketing Week, I'm more than happy to see you there. And we continue yeah. the discussion, by the way, listeners. Don't think that you heard <laughs> everything today. But yeah. you heard a lot, I think. And dear listeners, uh, please uh, listen us again next time. Because next week we have new uh, guests and new ideas. Ja meie kuulajatele, kuulake meid ka Delfi Taskus. And please listen us in a podcasts run by Delfi called Tasku. Sulle meeldis Turundusraadio. Teili endale meelde tuletus järgmiste saadete kohta Marketingi instituudi kodulehelt. 